0: Welcome to the Watermark Church podcast. Thank you for listening. Now we're excited to start this new series called Wonderful. We're going to be doing what the church across the globe is doing at this time of year. Focusing in on the amazing works and words of Jesus, right? As we head towards Easter, we focus on all that Jesus is and what he came to be and do for us. And so it's going to be awesome. So we're going to look through the book of Hebrews, which is a great book written to a group of people whose lives were less than wonderful. It's a wonderful book, but their lives were less than wonderful. They were facing persecution and challenge and struggle. And I think it's appropriate, even here this morning, to recognize and acknowledge that our lives are less than wonderful, (laughs) in the world that we live in, even in such a great place with great weather and great people. Um, all of us were shattered and shocked by the news this week on Valentine's Day of a, a massacre of 17 innocent lives in high school that were taken. And it just grabs your heart. You grieve. You're in shock. You go, how, how, what's happening in our world? What's going wrong? And so um, when that happens, you know, we do as Christians what the church does. As we hold on to Jesus, right? He is the anchor and the hope that allows us to go through the storms of life. This book of Hebrews is about being anchored, the anchor of the hope that we have in the finished work of Christ. It's the anchor that holds us firm and secure in the storms of life. Even this week at Watermark, we faced a financial storm. As you know, we are a master leasee in this building, and so we have to work with subtenants in order to pay our landlord. And our biggest uh, tenant filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy this week, our biggest tenant that we rely income on. And um, they did it after they just signed a lease with us. And so that throws us for a loop, a financial loop, and we get shaked and rocked. And what's this mean? Why is this happening? And what do we do? The elders of the church gather, and we pray and we hold on to Jesus because he is the anchor of hope in the storms of life. Whatever storm you are facing today, whether it's a financial storm. And, and, and the church responded amazingly. We had a bunch of volunteers yesterday. We cleaned out our whole youth room and moved storage over so we could rent that room out. We got a tenant we can put in that room right away that will help us with some of the loss of income. And so when we hold on to Jesus and we pray, God's people respond. And God gives us wisdom and God walks with us in the storms of life. And whatever storm you're going through today, maybe it's a financial storm, maybe it's an emotional storm, you're struggling uh, with loss or brokenness, maybe you've lost a loved one and you're struggling with that grief and this Florida things brings that, all that grief up for you. Whatever storm you're facing, whether it's a storm at high school with friends that you're struggling with or a marriage storm, whatever storm, the book of Hebrews was written so that you would know the hope of Jesus, the anchor of who he is and what he came to do, his finished work in the storms of life. And that's what we're going to focus on as we look at this incredible book Written to first century Christians that were suffering persecution. And many of them were killed for their faith. And some of them were thinking about, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to leave the church and I'm going to go back to my roots because their roots were in Judaism. These were Jewish Christians and they're going, wow, this is, this is a storm. Some people think this was written close to the Neronian persecution. So uh, the, the the emperor really unleashed a lot of persecution In the early church and a lot of christians died for their faith many of them were burned at the stake many of them were thrown to the lions and these christians this book was written to encourage them to hold on to jesus even in the storms of difficulty in life and why would we want to hold on to jesus because the author opens up the book and he says what we sang his name is wonderful He is the God who's worth holding on to in the storms of life because he is the God whose anchor holds. It holds us secure in peace, a peace that surpasses understanding even in the storms of life. To have peace even when our circumstances are not peaceful. To have a hope that goes beyond the grave that actually I can see my loved ones again and be with them in eternity. The ones that I may have lost or grieved. There's a hope because he has risen from the dead. There is a purpose that suffering cannot destroy. Even in that suffering a great purpose can happen and lives can be changed. Even our own life. There is a love that is unconditional, that no storm can ever take or steal from us. A love because God is with us and for us in the storms of life. This is the anchor that holds us. This is why Hebrews was written, because Jesus is wonderful. He is the wonderful anchor in the storms of life. And the author says, he is the final word of God. That's why we worship him. That's why we hold up on him, because he's God's final word in the storm of life. He says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors. He's talking to Jewish Christians who understand the Old Testament. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things for whom he also made the universe. You see, the Bible, God's word, we just finished a series called Why the Bible Matters. And why does the Bible matter? It's not because it's just an ancient history book. It's not just because we get perspectives and wisdom from it on the way life was lived. Because the Bible claims to be God's word to us. The Bible claims to be Theophanustus, God-breathed. As 2 Timothy tells us, 3.16, all scripture is inspired. God breathed. It comes from the breath of God. It is God's word to us, spoken over the centuries. 1,500, 1,600 years it took to write this amazing book. 66 different books, over 40 authors inspired by the Holy Spirit because there's one common theme. All these books written by different people in different places. Various times through various people, all inspired by the same God, his spirit. And there's this common theme that that goes through it all. It reads like one book because it is a golden thread of God's redemptive love for humanity and mankind. That is why this book is so amazing. If you haven't read this book, have you have never opened it up, I would encourage you. to to give it a chance, open up the Gospels and read the stories of Jesus and let the Word of God speak to you through his Son. Because the author says, yes, in the past, God spoke through prophets like Moses. Moses, who saw God in this burning bush and was called back to redeem God's people in the slavery of Egypt. Moses spoke to God's people and he recorded the law, the Old Testament law of God. And he understood God's holiness and his righteousness through that law and what that law taught us about living and righteous living. And then there was David, right? The king of Israel is a shepherd boy on the mountain caring for sheep, spending time with God. He penned many of the Psalms, the 23rd Psalm written by David, who says, God is a good shepherd God, and just as I care for the sheep and love them, my good God cares for me and watches over me. David, inspired, spoken to, wrote this pen that has helped so many people in the storms of life. And then a prophet like Isaiah, who saw a vision of God in the temple, and God's holiness was so great, he had to fall down and said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, And they come from a people that are broken. And he was touched by God and sent back to Israel to bring them back to their covenant fidelity with God. These were all prophets, and they spoke in partial realities. They they teach us about God's justice, God's righteousness. They teach us about God's holiness and God's power, his creative power. But they're all just partial pictures. See, he says, those pictures and those prophets were spoken in various ways. The word there is polytropos, and it means partial. In the past, God has spoken to us in piecemeal or partial ways, but now he has spoken to us in Jesus. What the author is saying, in the past, God spoke to us through prophets in different ways, but those were all partial and piecemeal parts of the full picture of God. Ultimately, God sent his full and final picture to us through his son, Jesus Christ. In these last days, he's given us a full and complete picture, a complete communication of who he is and what he's about through his son, Jesus. God is speaking to us through Jesus, not just to give us information, right? He didn't send us a text, right? He didn't send us an email, right? (laughs) He didn't send us a fax with with facts and principles on us. He sent us his flesh and blood son. Why? Because he wanted to communicate relationship. I mean, I hate emails. How many misunderstandings through text and teenagers and emails and all this stuff, all this junk creates so much confusion. Who said what? Why did they say it? I don't understand it. Hey, guys, go have a meeting face-to-face and just talk about it. Don't send the facts. Just show up at somebody's door and have a face-to-face conversation and share who you are in your heart. You'll have such a better connection. You see, God didn't partially send a fax or a text or an email or just tell somebody to go give you a vision or dream. He sent his one and only son who took on flesh to reveal the essence of God's character. It says that he is the exact representation. That word in the Greek is character. He came to reveal the essence of God to us. God's character because he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have intimacy with us, so he sent his flesh and blood son to us so that we could walk in relationship with him. There is no more fuller or final communication, the author says, than Jesus Christ. The word last days, what he's saying is from from the time of Jesus to the end of time, there needs to be no more fuller or final communication. It's all been given to you through his son, Jesus Christ. You have the full and complete understanding and revelation wrapped in skin through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's an amazing statement. The author says, in the storms of life, you can hold on to Jesus because he is God's final word. Final word. In, in the difficulties and challenges of life, there is no more full or final expression of God but through the Son, Jesus Christ. And you know, that's comforting, right? Because if we really want to know who God is, the author would say, just look at Jesus. Look at how he acts. Look at how he lives. Look at how his, his, his words come out, and look how he lives his life. There's the essence, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, transformation, hope. There's the essence of who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, it's also challenging for us especially in the modern world because there's a finality to it, right? Because if you ever want to really have intimacy with somebody, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you really want to know him, he has spoken to you finally in Jesus Christ. And so there's your answer, the words and the works of Jesus. And you know, in marriage... Finality sometimes can be challenging, right? Because you get married to a person and there's this romantic sort of fog that comes over you and you go, oh, I love this person. They're just like me. Kathleen, she's just, Bucky, he's just like me. We go to all the same, we love the same movies and we eat the same at the same restaurants. We wear the same clothes. Look at we dress just alike, and you, you see these couples, and you want to throw up. They're in this romantic fog. And, oh, I've been married for thirty-seven years. You want to slap them out of it and say, "Get real, right?" I think my daughter might be one of those fogs right now. Those romantic fogs. Everything's wonderful and beautiful, and we're dancing. It's oh. oh. But then reality hits, right? And you wake up one morning, and you're per- next to this person, you go. Who is this alien that just invaded my house? He is so different than me. Bucky's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. Bucky's a morning person. He gets up at 5.30 and he shakes me and wakes me out of my sleep and I just want to kill him. <laughs> Kathleen stays up till 12 and 1 o'clock playing cards and I, I just want to be asleep. There's a party in the house going all the time. I just want some solitude. They're so, she's so different than me. Right? And you see all these differences and you try to change them. Right? We try, I just I just need you to come back and be more like me. I just need you to be more understand, be more like me. And after that reality hits, you go through a while, and then you have to take responsibility. There are finalities. I love this person, but I cannot change the fact that she enjoys playing cards till two o'clock in the morning. I I can't change that. She loves me, but she can't change the fact that I get up at 5.30 to drink coffee. Right? She loves me, but she can't change the fact that I love blue cheese on my salad. And, And she says, hey, it's me or the blue cheese, man. If you eat the blue cheese, you ain't getting none tonight with me. No kissing with me, right? She cannot change the fact that I love blue cheese dressing. And so those are finalities you have to live with if you're going to have a marriage that lasts 37 years. Do all, all married people say amen to that? Amen. All right. Well, in Orange County, guess what? I talk to a lot of people. There's a lot of people that's spiritual God conversations. That's what our church is about. We want to have God conversations. And I'll talk to people and they'll say, you know, I love God. You're a pastor. I love God. I love that God is loving. Oh, I love that. And, 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 well, the Bible, I like some of it, but, you know, I don't like the fact that God's judgmental. I don't like that part of God. And, you know, God, I like that he's loving, but his views of sexuality are pretty darn narrow. I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm not going to buy in that part of the Bible or part of God. Jesus seems nice, but, you know, he's kind of narrow and exclusive. And, and, and so I want to ask him a question. I want to ask them a question about the God that they're talking about, right? And, and, and it's sort of like the men of Stepford, Connecticut, right? You heard of the men of Stepford, Connecticut. They didn't like the finalities in their wives. And so they decided to put a microchip in their, wim- their wives' brain. And they created what was called the Stepford Wives. Anybody heard of the movie, The Stepford Wives? And it was all great because they would come home and their wives would say, yes, dear. They would wear whatever they wanted to. They would do whatever they wanted. They'd whip up whatever they wanted in the kitchen. and It was all going great. There was only one thing. There was no intimacy. There was no relationship. They found that they were in love with an appliance. They had created an appliance. A, 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 a person that was a robot. That had, There was no relationship when there was no love. And I want to say to these people that say, well, here's the God that I want. It's the one that loves me and doesn't require anything of me, that says everything's great and you know, I love you no matter what, oh, oh, we're all in. And I want to say to them, have you put a microchip in this God that you think is the God that you're serving and loving? Have you created a Stepford God, a God that, that, that will say yes to whatever you want and does whatever you want? Have you created a robot God, a God in your own image? Are are, are you having intimacy with an appliance, God, that is here to whip up anything you want and serve you? Or do you have intimacy with the Almighty God that sometimes is going to challenge your will? That sometimes is going to have hard things to say to you. Just like in a marriage, Kathleen sometimes has some hard things to say to me that I don't want to hear. That sometimes will look into you and tell you about your selfishness and your pride in a marriage that comes out. Do you want an appliance, God, or do you want intimacy with the true God? Because Jesus, he loves you to death, and he went to the cross for you, but sometimes he's going to have some hard things to say to you in your life. Sometimes he's going to challenge you. Sometimes he's going to ask you to go to places that you don't want to go to. Sometimes he's going to call you to love people that you don't want to love. Sometimes he's going to say things like, yes, it's better to give than to receive. I want you to pray for your enemies and love them and forgive them. You want me to pray for my enemies that are trying to put me out of business? You want me to love these people? Yes, I want you to go love them, but I want you to sacrifice and serve for them and get over yourself. And see, the author of Hebrews is saying these people, you can go back, you can leave Jesus, you can go love an appliance God or make any of the kind of God, or you can serve the true God who is full of intimacy and love and will tell you the truth about life. And so that's why the author of Hebrews is saying, you know, there's certain finalities. He's the final word. That means he's good and loving and gracious and forgiving, but he's also truthful and honest and holy and just. He's both those things. You can't have one without the other. Or otherwise, you've got an appliance, a God that you're just making in your own image, versus the true and awesome God that came to us and revealed himself through Jesus Christ. He's God's final word. He's worth holding on to in the storms of life, because he is the essence of God. He is full of God's glory. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. That word radiance means character, exact representation, essence. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He's worthy of holding on to because he is wonderful. You see, in the Old Testament... The glory of God was revealed to Israel in this huge cloud. When Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery and into the desert, a huge cloud showed up. And it was awesome. And was, At night it was like a pillar of fire. In the daytime it was like a cloud and it led the people to the Mount Sinai. And it came down on Mount Sinai and the people stood there. And when it came down there was thunder and lightning. And only Moses was allowed to go up in that cloud. And God said, don't let the people come to this mountain because my holiness will break out against them and they will not survive it. And so on that mountain, Moses received the law and after that, that glory cloud followed them. Eventually, they built a temple And that glory cloud came down and filled the temple, and the priests that were serving there had to fall down because the glory was so thick and so powerful and so awesome. They had to fall down. They couldn't look upon it as it filled the temple, and that's where God's presence dwelt. And only one person once a year could go in into that place, that inner sanctuary in the temple where God's glory dwelt to make atonement, to make a, a blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. And as he went in, he was so full of awe. He had to, they, they tied a rope around his foot in case something went wrong, and they had to drag him out because he fell down and died because of the holiness of God. It was so awe-filled. It was so wonderful. He had to follow purification rites to come and, and meet with the holiness of God and be there just for that short time. That's how awesome and powerful God's holiness is, Right? And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that holiness now, that glory cloud now exists in the form of a person. Right? That same cloud that was so awesome and awful that no one could approach, that was so wonderful and powerful and awesome, now is approachable. Now is relational because it's taken the form of Jesus Christ you see, God's glory cloud was the essence of his being. It revealed who he was in the Old Testament, and now it's revealed who he is in the person of Jesus Christ. A form that we can express that expresses the nature and the essence of God, God's glory, his essence. Jesus is the ultimate and the unsurpassable form in which God appears now. God's glory is now approachable, it's touchable, it's relatable, it's intimate. It's accepting. It's, 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 it's the greatest revelation of who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And now God's glory can come into our lives. Because of Jesus Christ, God shares his glory with us. And now God's glory can actually come in and transform our own lives. Jesus said, I'm going to share my glory with you. I'm going to ask the Father to indwell you with the very Spirit of God. And that same Spirit that dwelled in the temple is going to dwell in you now. You now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put my Spirit inside of you, and I'm going to change you. And my glory is going to radiate out of you. That's why you wouldn't want to settle for anything less. Just an external form of religious Things you want, you need an internal transformation of the heart that can only happen through the glory of God revealed and given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things through the power of His Word. The author of Hebrews says, The Son is sustaining and driving creation to an end point. You know, science tells us that the sun's going to burn out, we're all going to die. There isn't really any any hope for us. A scientific story, there's no hope in science. Science is great, but science says you came from nothing, you have no meaning, you have no morality, and you're going to nothing. That's the scientific story, scientific naturalism. The philosophy that comes out of science says that you're a random chance accident, you came from nothing, you're going to nothing, the sun's going to burn out. And we're all going to die. Not a lot of hope in that. (laughs) I mean, I love science. I, I go to docs. Not a lot of hope in that story, though. You see, the Bible is a supernatural story. It says there's something more than science. There's a supernatural author that came to share God's glory with us. So that we could live forever beyond. And the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is sustaining the creation above the matter, energy, time, space continuum with a supernatural work that will go beyond time. He will return. He will recreate the world. He will give us resurrection bodies that we can live forever in in a world that will never die. How could that happen? Only in a supernatural story. If, If all there is is science, then it's all bogus. But if there is a supernatural, and guess what? Just this last week in Newsweek, There was an article published about the fact that science is saying that there's something supernatural inside of you. Why? Because when people die, guess what? Their brain keeps going. There's been documented near-death experiences. Look it up in Newsweek. Near-death experiences, people are watching after people die, and brain waves still keep going, and people have experiences where they see things, they hear conversations, and they say, How does that happen? How is there a consciousness beyond death? The only way to explain that is there's something supernatural. You were created for more than this. You are a supernatural being because you have a soul. God gave you a soul because he wants to have a soul connection with you and he wants to be with you in eternity. That's why he sent his son. There's way more than science. There is a supernatural world. There's a supernatural God. Well, how do we know this in all this pain and suffering? These Hebrews... Christians are suffering and dying. How do we know this? And the author says, you know this because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father today. Jesus faced death and he rose from the dead. That's a supernatural story. He says after Jesus provided purification for sins, after he died and there was a reason for his death, to cleanse us of our sins on the cross, he rose from the dead. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited. His name is wonderful because he is God. He's not just a man. He's the son of God. He died and he rose from the dead. He defeated death, proving that he was God. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father in the place of glory and majesty and honor. That's the argument of the author of Hebrews. This isn't just a natural thing you're going through. It's a supernatural story about a God who intervened in history to die for your sins, to rise from the dead, and now he is working creation to his glory. That is the hope that you can hold on to when you face death and suffering that takes loved ones from you like happened in Florida. There's a hope that I can see my loved one again. That's what you can hold on to when you're suffering with cancer You've lost your job. Things are not going right. You're being persecuted for your faith. That's the hope that's supernatural, that's found in the resurrection and the power of the name of Jesus Christ. He proves that he's equal with God because he rises from the dead. And the author of Hebrews says, we worship him, not a dead prophet. You can't go to a tomb and see where Jesus is buried. Why? Because the tomb is empty. And for 2,000 years, the church has proclaimed that. That's Easter. The church only exists because of the resurrection. That's the only reason it exists today, because eyewitnesses saw him raised from the dead. They were all going back to Judaism. They saw him raised from the dead, and this incredible thing sparked and outlasted Rome. This church is going to outlast Rome and go for thousands of years and exist today. Why? Because of the supernatural power. You can't explain it any other way. And so that's what the author of Hebrews says. You can't put Jesus on a shelf with all the other prophets and religious leaders. He just won't stay there. If you're intellectually honest and you look at the historical documents about his life, the historical documents say the eyewitnesses, he was the son of God because he claimed to be the son of God. He didn't claim to be just some nice guy with some religious teaching. He didn't claim to be a prophet or just some wonderful guy that was giving you some wisdom. He claimed to be God. You see, this is what N. Team Wright says How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, and that life himself became life and walked in our midst? That's the reality of the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. Christianity either means that or it means nothing it is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world it is either the most devastating disclosure of reality that god came and walked among us and he died and rose from the dead or it is a sham it is a nonsense it is deceitful play acting you can't put jesus in the nice guy box you know, li- liberal, liberal people are going to say, put Jesus in the night guy, nice guy box. He's just a nice, wonderful teacher that somehow got confused and got crucified on the cross. How does that happen? How do nice guys get crucified on the cross? He was crucified because he claimed to be God. That's why he was crucified. He claimed to be God, and he threatened the political and religious leaders around him. He died and he rose from the dead. Either he is Lord of all, either he's on the top shelf, or he's on the bottom shelf. He is a sham, he is a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. You can't put him in the nice guy box. He won't stay there. The gospels won't put him there. The church never has proclaimed that. He's either Lord of all, he's worthy of holding on to, he is the hope in the storm of life, he's the hope of the world, he's nothing at all. He's a sham and a charlatan, and this is all a joke. The question is, what will you do with Jesus Christ? What will you do with Jesus Christ? Is he the hope of your glory? Is he your future? Is he the one you want to cling to? Or is he the one who's not worthy of anything at all? This morning, as we end our service, I want to give you a chance to think about that in your own life. What have you done with the claims of Jesus Christ? Have you ever looked at the Gospels and given a serious reading? I would encourage you to do that. If you have questions, we want to have God conversations. Take a Bible home that we have out there and read the gospel stories and consider the claims of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, what are you holding on to today? Are you holding on to money as your hope? Are you holding on to your own power, your own success? Are you holding on to the only hope there is, and that is the hope in Jesus Christ? He is with you in the storms of life. He is with you. He has died. He has risen. He will return. He is worth holding on to. I would encourage you to hold on to his gospel and cling to him and let him transform you like he's done in my life. This morning, we're going to do what the church has done for centuries. It's reminded itself of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It has come to a table where Jesus said, these elements represent my body and my blood, which are given for you. Here's why I came. I came so you didn't have to be alone in the storms of life. I came to die so that you didn't have to live without my hope and my grace and my love. I came to give my life so that you could have intimacy with God and know his grace and his truth. That's why Watermark exists. So that we could encounter this God through his grace and we could share that grace with others. And this morning as we come to the table, we remember his grace. We thank Him for His forgiveness. We thank Him that He came and died and He rose again so there is a hope to hold on to for the future so we'll be together with Him in eternity in a place where there is no more sadness, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. That is the hope of Jesus Christ. That is what He offers to you today. And if you want that hope, if you want to know that, He just says, just reach out to me in prayer. And trust in my word and trust in my promise. Let's pray as we bow our heads and pray as we prepare for communion. If any of you here this morning, if God is talking directly to your heart and you've never made that decision to hold on to the hope that is given to you and offered in Jesus Christ, maybe you're facing a storm, maybe you're in a struggle and you God saying, reach out to me and trust me. If you want to do that, just pray this prayer with me this morning. I want to encourage you to open your heart like I did as a young man, to change me forever, and say yes to Jesus Christ. And just pray this prayer with me to God. Pray it to Jesus. It's not about the words, it's about your heart. Just pray with me now and ask God to fill you and change you with His glory. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the one who came to live and die for me. I thank you for your body and blood which was given for the forgiveness of my sins. I open my heart, Jesus, and invite you to come in. Change me from the inside out. Heal me. Transform me and forgive me with your love. I just want to give my life to follow you. You are the hope that is worth following. You are my anchor in the storm. I accept you as my Savior and Lord in Jesus' name. Father, as we come to this table, fill us with your Holy Spirit, transform our hearts. Anybody who feels hopeless and hurting today, may they remember who you are. and May they hold on to this anchor of hope, which is the only hope that we have in the storms of life. We worship you, Jesus, as we partake in your body and blood. In Jesus' name, amen. We have four steps. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.